0: Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we look to you this morning that your spirit will inspire us and challenge us, encourage us, teach us. We pray that our hearts and our minds will be open to your word and we ask you, Lord, to speak. We trust in you now through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you're a mum and a dad or a grandparent, and you were going to die, you knew, in the next day or so, and you had an opportunity to speak to each of your kids or grandkids individually, what would you say to them? Think about it. What would you do? What would you say to encourage or to even warn or to inspire them or uh, assure them? in these chapters that we've started into today, uh, chapters 13 to 17 in John's gospel, we have Jesus with his disciples just on the eve of his crucifixion. He spends these last few hours with his disciples and he teaches them. He speaks to them as like a parent with children. In fact, This is the uh, the, in this passage the only time in the Gospels where Jesus used the word little children for his disciples is used in this passage, and he calls them his own, those who belong to him. His final hours with his own, with his little children, and they're going to be left as orphans, as it were. He's going to go back to the Father. the The first verse of this chapter is actually uh, an introduction to the whole of chapters 13 to 17. And it says, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end or to the uttermost. He showed them, if you like, the full extent of his love. And so he prepares the disciples for his departure. What he says in these chapters actually is very meaningful so that they can continue as his disciples once he has gone and also that they can continue his mission. And the key, if you like, one of the major themes through this passage or through the whole of these chapters is his love and God's love for his disciples. So I've entitled the message this morning, To Be Loved, And to love, to be loved by him and to love one another and love others as he calls us to do. Jesus here gives a very practical demonstration of his love for us. In verse 3, we have a, a verse that is very critical to understanding what he then Uh, portrayed in his washing of the disciples' feet, which is really an acted parable. It says in verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper and washed the disciples' feet. Jesus knew these three critical things. One, his authority, his divine authority. He is one who is God incarnate. He had come from God. He knew that Father had given all things into his hands. All authority in heaven, under on under heaven and on earth is given unto me. He was the and is the Son of the living God. All authority. And his origin, he came from the Father and he was going back to the Father. And so knowing these things, he did what he did. That's amazing. It wasn't like he was trying to impress them. He knew who he was and where he was going. He knew. And yet he showed the full extent of his love to his disciples and indeed to us. The Bible says in Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7, well-known verses, though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, that is the permanent essence of God, he made himself of no reputation or emptied himself. Uh, He gave up his divine privilege, if you like, and taking upon himself the form of a servant. In his coming into this world, He became a servant and even was obedient to death on a cross, as we'll see in the latter chapters of this this book. So we see here the character, first of all, the character of his love or the character of love, indeed. Um, God is love. And if you want to know what that means, let's look at what Jesus did. He says here he loved his own To the uttermost or he showed the full extent of his love by doing this washing of their feet. True love is servant love. And he loved his own. They were, they belong to him. And I I want to pause here and say, do you belong to him? Can you say he can speak to me as one who is his own? It says he loved his own. Does that include you? It includes me, I belong to Jesus. He loved his own to the uttermost. And even though he knew that after the meal was over, they would go to the garden and those, he would be in agony anticipating the cross Sweating drops of blood. He was so in agony and they slept. He knew the weakness of these disciples. He knew that they would flee the moment the guards and the soldiers came to take Jesus to crucify him. They knew that he knew that they would flee, they would run for their lives. And the one Peter who hung around would deny him three times with oaths and curses. But he loved his own to the uttermost. And we fail him. We mess up. He loves us to the uttermost. He's a servant king. He is a servant love that he displays. He showed servant, love in what he did, and it reveals the very heart of God. It reveals that God serves us. God, think about it. God has all power, all authority. He knows everything. He's, he's eternal. And he serves us. Some of us are going through tough times. Uh, This COVID thing has created all sorts of problems. And people are out of work or they're not getting paid because they've been laid off for the time being. Um, They still have to pay their mortgage or their rent. Um, There's there's, uh, being flung together in a home uh, when you're not used to being together all the time. And there's all sorts of tensions that can come into that. And, and, And life is not easy at the moment. But be assured of this. Your God is a servant king who loves you to the uttermost. Trust in him. Look to him in faith. I want you to imagine being there. One of those disciples seated around um, as they did uh, a very low table, uh, which was like in a U shape. And they were all lying around on one elbow and and reaching out with the the hand to uh, take the meal and so on. And as they were there, I want you to imagine the Lord of glory getting up, putting on a towel, coming to you to wash your dirty feet. Can you imagine that? How it felt for them? It it reveals the spirit of the incarnation, why he came. In fact, in Matthew 20, verse 28, we read, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus' action on this occasion was considered way below his dignity. It was even regarded as degrading. This kind of humility was not a virtue in those days. It was regarded as weakness. It was regarded even as insanity. Even Jewish servants were exempt from washing one another's feet. They didn't have to do it. They had got Gentiles in to do that if they needed to. Never a person in higher rank would, would wash a person, another person's feet. The rabbis taught this, that the disciple of a Um, master or a rabbi, every task a slave does for his master shall a disciple do for his rabbi except loosening the sandal thong, dealing with the feet. That's why when John the Baptist says, uh, he who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie has great import because... uh, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't, and 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 John the Baptist says, "I'm not even worthy to be a a, a, a Gentile slave," uh, because Jewish slaves weren't even doing that. But Jesus did it. Their culture was built around power, the power of kings and armies, uh, the power within the religious community, the power within the family of the leader or the Bam, the, the head of the family, and within a village, the leaders of the village, power was well, it's very similar today, isn't it, really? When I was in Africa, I've been there several times on mission trips, and uh, in one, I can't remember which country it was, but uh, we were in a village, and uh, I had to speak by interpretation to the people. And uh, I, I sat down, and the people sat down on the ground, They got off their logs and I was on a log. And I found out afterwards that uh, when a person is a teacher or a a chief of a tribe or a a leader, you never sit at the same level. You have to sit lower. And so when I sat down, they all got on on the ground in the dirt. Well, Jesus got down on the ground in the dirt to these people, his disciples whom he loved. What caused this? There's two things that I believe could cause Jesus to do this acted parable before them and with them. First of all, we read in uh, Luke chapter 22, uh, we read that a dispute. This is on this occasion when they were up in the upper room. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you is to be the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. I am among you as one who serves. And he got down and washed their feet. He was saying there needs to be a radical change in your thinking, my disciples and people of Pakenham Baptist Church today. There needs to be a radical change in thinking. The disciples argued about who should be seated where probably. No doubt. Not just that there was a need for someone to wash their feet. They'd been out in the dirty roads that had their baths and everything, but they'd walked to this place in their sandals and the seat, their feet became dusty and dirty. And at the Passover feast, they had to be cleaned. So someone had to do it. No one did it except Jesus. But they, they probably said, well, who's going to do this? We don't have a servant to do it and we need to wash our feet before the Passover feast. And they had an argument as to who was the greatest and who was more important. But the other reason was that who would be seated next to Jesus. And the place of prominence right beside Jesus was Judas. Interesting. Jesus on one side, I mean, John on one side and Judas on the other that Jesus handed him as we'll see uh, some bread dipped in the bowl. In washing their feet, Jesus was not so much concerned with their feet and the dirt. He was more concerned with their hearts. Love that is real is marked by servanthood. And, you know, We do not exist to be served as Christians. We don't exist. We don't belong to this church in order to be served. You don't go to church to be served. Oh, we are served. And and God blesses and uses people. But we, every one of us, are part of a church to serve, not to be served. Wow. That is radical. That is what you you are called to be a servant. That's your calling. That's my calling. So Peter, when Jesus came around and washed everyone's, including Judas's feet, probably started with Judas, went around. When he came to Peter, who seems to be at a distance away, because he had to call to John and say, ask Jesus, um, you'll see in this chapter, so he was a distance from where Jesus was sitting. When he came to Peter's feet, Peter said, Lord, do you wash my feet? In fact, this is in the Greek very emphatic. And it's like saying, you, my feet, you, my feet. And, and Jesus said, oh, you, you'll understand it later. You, you don't understand this significance now. And, and then Peter said, you will never wash my feet. And there's a double negative there, which is really like saying, not ever will you ever wash my feet? Peter, that's so Peter, isn't it? And so all of us too. And the Lord said that it's the significance in this, not beyond just humility and servanthood, there's a significance in what I'm doing, which is to say that you need washing. Oh, you've been bathed, but you need your feet washed before we eat together this meal. And and it's true for the Christian that we, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and invite him to come into your life, you repent of your sin, you become a child of God, and you belong to him. You are washed. We are cleansed. We are made right with God. All our sins are forgiven. Past, present and future, we are totally justified, put right with God, made righteous in his sight. But we still sin. And so the Bible says if to Christians who have been cleansed, who've had the bathing, the full bath, if you confess your sins, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's washing the feet. We've had the bath. That's the daily, hourly, continual cleansing for whenever we mess up. You see, our relationship with him is permanent, but our fellowship with him comes and goes depending on our walk with him. Now, Peter responded to that and said, Wash me? Please. I wash my head. I wash my hands as well. <laughs> Again, so Peter. You know, Peter later on wrote a letter many years later. And he writes to Christians and he says these words All of you are to be clothed in humility. And the word for clothed there is the special clothing that uh, the servants and slaves used to wear. He says, clothe yourself with that kind of clo- cloth clothing and let it be humility. Clothe yourselves with humility. Next we see that uh, there is a command to love. Jesus demonstrated the... Uh, The character of love by his washing the disciples' feet, then he goes on to command them to love. Sure, it's at the end of the chapter, but it's it's, uh, reiterating something that Jesus says about the washing of the feet. So the command to love is this. A new commandment, Jesus said, I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A new commandment. Well, what's new about it? The Bible's full of loving your neighbor as yourself, loving others. First of all, it's new in its character. He says, I want you to love as I have loved you. He says in verses 13 to 15, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. For so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, your master and your teacher, your rabbi, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Get that? The Lord of glory washing my feet. There's an infinite difference, a position difference between him and me, and he washes my feet. But with my brother and sister, we're all on the same level. (laughs) And if the Lord of glory washes my feet, I certainly have to wash and you have to wash one another's feet. He says, "Go." he goes on to say, for I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Servant love is to regard yourself as a servant. Do you see yourself as a servant? Do you? A child of God, perhaps you see yourself as. A member of the body of Christ. But a servant, not just someone who serves, but a servant. Let this mind, says Paul, this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. He's Saying the same thing. Who took the very nature of of a servant. Let that mind be in you. We have a mindset often of entitlement. I belong to this church, so I'm entitled to this and that. I belong to this. I, I, I'm the husband of the father or whatever it is I'm told I'm the boss or I'm the... I'm working in this role in in my business or in my work, and I'm entitled. Uh, Our mindset is to be entitled so often. Or we're consumers. We're here to get. We're there to get. It's for us. But the mindset needs to change to I'm a servant. I'm here to give, not to get. Richard Foster He writes these words, we must see the difference between choosing to serve. Listen to this. We must see the difference between choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant. When we choose to serve, we are still in charge. But when we choose to be a servant, we give up the right to be in charge. We are a servant. Are you a servant? How can we wash people's feet today, one another's feet? When did you last wash another's feet? Serving people who need help. Showing people that they are loved, that they're appreciated. Doing good when that person doesn't deserve it. Clearing out the gutters of somebody who can't afford to get others in to pay them and can't get up on a ladder themselves. Very practical stuff. Archbishop, Archbishop Secker said these words, God has three sorts of servants in the world. Some are slaves and serve him out of fear. Others are hirelings and serve him for wages. And the last are sons or daughters who serve him because they love. That's the kind of service. That's the kind of love that Jesus is portraying here. It's far easier to approve and admire humility and servanthood than it is to practice it. Someone asked the famous orchestra conductor, Leonard Bernstein, what is the most difficult instrument to play? He said, second fiddle. The trouble with telling a joke in an empty auditorium is that no one laughs. laughs. So... Jesus then says that servant love is fulfilling. He says, if you know these things and do them, you will be blessed. Let's move on. We see that there's a, not only is there a new character that we're to love one another as I have loved you, but there's a new scope, uh, it's new in the sense that we're to love one another. This is not loving anybody and everybody like love your neighbor as yourself, could be anybody. This is specific to God's people, his family, the family of God, and he says, we're to love one another. Um, And so he says, in the body of Christ, we have all been given gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. In the context of using your gifts to serve, Paul writes, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Talking there in Romans 12 about using your gifts, not to think more highly of yourself. You're a servant. So often decisions we make and whether we should serve in the body of Christ in the church are based on how it will affect me. Or there's a personal cost involved and so I'll think twice about that. Whereas the heart of a servant says, There's a need, I'm gifted, I can do it, I've got the time, I'll make the time, I'll serve. What do you do in the church um, when we meet and when we're back to normal? Are you serving? Are you a consumer or a servant? It's a challenge. In Philippians 2, we read, I have no one else like Timothy who, makes a genuine, who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. But you know, Timothy has proved himself. Timothy was a servant. And he's put forward there as an example again for us to follow, but not only are we in the body of Christ uh, to love one another, but to love one another within our marriages and our our family, in personal relationships. Selfishness is at the very core of relationship problems. Australia is faced with an epidemic. Oh yeah, I'm not talking about COVID, another epidemic of marriage breakups. At the core of most breakups is selfishness. The answer to most breakups is servanthood, love that serves. You know what the meaning of love is? It's to regard the other person as more important than yourself. Do you regard your husband as more important than yourself? Do you regard your wife as more important than yourself? Do you have a servant heart to your husband or to your wife? I'm so glad the marriage course has been run here. And and I've run it many times, a number of times in different churches. And it's such a wonderful course. And I assume uh, David uh, will be running it again or someone will be. You must go to it. It's wonderful but it helps us to dig down and see where we're at and and what we can do to improve and develop and, and strengthen our marriages. But you know, at the core is selfishness or servanthood. We're different personalities and different interests, different backgrounds, but unless real love is maintained, couples can drift apart and even be driven apart. Servant love is how can I serve you, my wife, how can I serve you, my husband? Then we see it this uh, command of the Lord Jesus is not only uh, new in its character and its uh, sorry, yeah, in, in, in its scope, but it's also new in its effect. By this, he says, all people will know. That you are my disciples. When you love one another, it's gonna be an incredible witness to the world. People will look on and say, hey, those people really, they've got something that, that is unique in this world. It's different. There's so many different people in this church community, and there's so many different backgrounds and thinkings and, and, and so on, lifestyles, but hey, they love one another. There's something there. It's not like our community that's fighting all the time. It's real. And what a powerful witness that is. And also to your own family, if you've got kids growing up and they grow up in a place where the husband and wife love each other, they are much more likely to say, yes, this is something to trust in, the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, because it's changed And it works in in my parents' marriage. It's a powerful witness. And lastly, in this chapter, we see not just the character of love that love serves, not just the command to love, but we see the contrast to love. A sad contrast to love. You see, love involves loyalty. Love involves loyalty because um, if you love your wife, you're loyal to her husband. If you love your friends, you're loyal to them. If you love your boss, oh, forget it. That won't happen. <laughs> no, Again, no one's laughing. Um, but if you show Christian love to your boss, you'll be loyal to your boss. If you're loyal to your country, you don't barrack for the uh, the British team in the Ashes, you're barrack for the Australian team. You're loyal. The Oxford Dictionary says that loyalty is one who remains faithful. The, word, the Hebrew word for love in the Old Testament that's there all through many, many, many times, it is the word hesed, which means steadfast love or steadfast loyalty. That's the meaning of love. And so a loyalty to Christ that is genuine and unwavering is part of our love, is, is, is really our love for him. Now, the loyalty of Judas was fake. He, outwardly, he was loyal. Yeah, when, he, when he was going to go and betray his Lord and, and, and uh, do what he did, no one had any idea it was him. And when Jesus said it, they looked around and said, who's this going to be? Why? Because he'd hidden it. The Lord knew his heart, but no one else did. They had no inkling that he was a traitor. He was the most educated of them all. He was from Judea, what's more, and the rest were from down country or up country. And and, uh, they um, had entrusted him or Jesus had entrusted him with the money. So he was a big boy in the group. And Jesus honoured Judas when he knew that what he was going to do was to betray him and be a traitor. Jesus honoured Judas in that situation. He showed grace. It's customary in a Passover meal for the father, or the person acting as the father, here is Jesus, for the father of the household of the Passover table to dip uh, some bread into a dish that contained fruits and wine, which was celebrating uh, going into the Promised Land and and uh, having uh, the uh, fruit and, and so on and plenteous um, uh, products. And so uh, they would dip into the fruit, the fruit and wine in the bowl, and they would hand uh, the father would hand this to an honoured guest. That was a tradition. If they had a guest there. An honoured guest, they would do that. The father would do that. So Jesus did the very thing and handed it to Judas, who was right beside him, obviously. It was a gracious appeal to his conscience. And he rejected it. And instead, he opened himself up to be controlled by Satan. Jesus' last words to him, what you're about to do, do quickly. It was not a suggestion or permission. It was a command. Go and do it. So Judas left and the others had no idea why. Secondly, we see the fancied loyalty of Peter. Judas was fake. Peter was real, but weak. Peter said, I will lay down my life for you. Oh, Peter, why don't you zip? Yeah, just let somebody else speak for once. <laughs> don't you feel like saying that? But then we're like that. Anyway, I'm sorry, Peter, I'm going to meet you one day. Um, but anyway, He says, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you've denied me three times. So, this man, Peter, was not devilish or deceitful in his loyalty to Christ. He was impulsive, but he was sincere. He was committed, but he was weak. He was not aware of his own weakness. And Satan traded on that weakness. In fact, Jesus said to him and recorded in other Gospels, Satan desires to have you, to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. I love that. It's like, I know your weakness, Peter, and you're going to mess up. Satan's actually going to have a bit of a controlling influence on you in this whole thing, but... I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And after you've come back, strengthen your brothers and sisters. Be in that place of encouragement to others because you've gone through it and they're going through it too and they will go through it. Our weakness used by Satan to trip us up. So it wasn't Peter's ability, it was the Lord's keeping power that enabled him to work through that and end up being one of the greatest um, apostles God has gifted and used in the past and through his word written down, continues to use. All right, as disciples then, as we finish up here, uh, we are to remain loyal to him. Loyal in our confession to Christ. When we're in the world, in our workplace, in among our neighbours, we're to be loyal to Christ, to stand up for him. Like Peter didn't when he was at the fire warming himself and he he, uh, denied his Lord with oaths and cursing. We are to be loyal and be willing to take the flack when we stand up for Jesus in the world, in the workplace. Secondly, we're to be loyal in obedience to him. And then thirdly, we're to be loyal in our obligation to spread the gospel and build his church. In the 19th century, a painting, or early 19th century, a painting shows a long line of beggars waiting for soup at a soup kitchen. If you look carefully, it's it's not easy to discern at first glance, but if you look carefully... Around the head of one is a halo. And it represents Jesus. That serving the poor and the needy, that Christ is there when we serve others. Inasmuch as you do it to the least of these, my brethren, my brothers and sisters, Jesus said, you do it unto me. To serve others is to serve Christ. Let us pray. Oh, Father, make me a servant. Sometimes sing those words. I'm getting old now, but it's a song that we used to sing. Make me a servant. Lord, we want to be a servant, not just serve. Change our heart, O God. Make it ever new. Renew our hearts to be like yours, to love with a servant love and glorify your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.